Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. It's a pleasure to be able to share with you this morning and to be able to think about uh, this issue of fasting. And uh, David has introduced us to this and challenged us the last couple of weeks in not just how we think about fasting, uh, but fasting is this practice of spirituality and, and this practice within the body of Christ. So as, as I approach it, and the topic is, is fasting and justice, uh, it raises some questions for me. And, and one is, how is the spiritual or religious practice of fasting connected to efforts for justice? And it leads to, to kind of an interesting comparison. And actually, it's a comparison I, I found in somebody uh, that I was studying and uh, a theory of justice that they have. But they, they look at fasting and starvation. And they say, well, what, what is the relation between fasting and starvation? And on one hand, uh, this person would say, well, fasting and starvation are alike because both involve a lack of nutrition. Uh, both involve not intaking sustenance. But they're different because in fasting, you're an agent. You are choosing to stop taking in nutrition, to stop sustenance. And in starvation, you suffer the indignity of not having the opportunity to take these things in. And it's interesting, that that way of, of distinguishing between the two. But a part of that is defining uh, something about justice. Right? It's saying uh, that a significant part of justice and a significant part of human dignity is to be able to act and to do and to have agency over and freedom. So that you could say, I, I, well, I choose to eat or I don't choose to eat. And, and so that way of thinking leads to some specific ways of addressing injustices. So where we would see uh, an organization or a movement like Making Poverty History which I think they're trying to, you know, we're going to make poverty history, and we're going to make poverty history. We're going to eradicate it. We're going to make a name for ourselves, but we're also going to eradicate poverty. Uh, and starvation would obviously be a part of that. Uh, Oxfam uh, asked this question, how much would it take to end world hunger? Uh, the UN's uh, Sustainable Development Goals, goal two is zero hunger. And uh, it says goal two is about creating a world free of hunger. Now, I think Maybe their grammar or their choice of words here isn't, isn't quite right on, but uh, a world free of people who are starving, I think is what they mean. By 2030, the global issue of hunger and food insecurity has shown an alarming increase since 2015, a trend exacerbated by a combination of factors, including the pandemic, conflict, climate change, and deepening inequalities. Right. So, so here we see this emphasis. If we're going to distinguish fasting and starvation, what is, what is it that's undignified about starvation? A significant part is, in terms of thinking about it as justice, is that you lose agency. And by losing agency in this way of thinking, you lose dignity. Okay. So how should the church think about these things? How, how should we think about the relationship between uh, starving and, and fasting, as we think about fasting, between fasting and justice, between fasting and, and human dignity. Ending world hunger or ending starvation is a nice thought, but is the eradication of suffering something Christians should pursue? 
I want you to think about that. Because it's kind of the reflex answer would be, yeah, <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't we eradicate suffering? Why wouldn't we want to be done and, and get rid of suffering? Right? That seems to be the reflex. That, I think, is a worldly response. I think the Christian response is, is more complicated. Uh, well, I think fighting against starvation and struggling, efforting very hard to make sure that people have food to eat are Christian projects. I think Christianity requires a more complex approach to suffering and to vehicles of suffering like starvation. There's an early 20th century uh, Russian philosopher and, and theologian named Nicholas Berdeyev. He writes this, and I'm going to read to you this, this quote in full. We won't unpack all of it because there's lots we could think about. Suffering, he writes, is a proof not only of the God-forsakenness of creation, but of the depths of being. If there is no suffering in a fallen world, it would be finally severed from being. The depth of being shows itself as suffering. The mystery of existence is revealed in suffering. Suffering is a consequence of sin, a sign of sin, and at the same time, redemption from sin and liberation from it. This is the meaning of Christ's suffering on the cross. This is implied in all ideas of, suf of a suffering God. Consequently, our attitude to suffering is complex. Our attitude to suffering needs to be complex. We, we can, again, eradicating suffering, eradicating starvation is, is something we look forward to. But as Christians, we recognize we live in a world that is marked by sin. We live after the resurrection of Christ, and so we have great hope. We live and, and are called to live in a world where we bring the will of God into the everyday as God's children. But we bring it into an everyday that is marked by sin because we're in this in-between, this already but not yet, where the fulfillment of all things in Christ, the end, the true end of suffering, is yet to come. So what does that mean for Christians? Well, it's interesting. I was thinking about this, and, and uh, when I was a youth pastor long ago, the very first event I went to when I began, uh, I think in like February of 1993, uh, the youth leaders had already planned the event, and I couldn't actually be there for the whole event. I had a, another church meeting the next day. But it was a 30-hour famine uh, that World Vision sponsors. And uh, how many have participated in something like that at some point? Right? Lots of us have. All right? And, and so the idea, 30 hours without food, but you fill it with, uh, well, there's some sleep, uh, but usually youth groups will do like an all-nighter around it, so that kind of combines you know, lack of nutrition and the insanity of not sleeping together. <laughs> so, uh, and then you do all these activities and things with people who don't have the energy to do them. But, uh, but right, so there's this, this event. The idea is to promote uh, uh, you know, efforts uh, against starvation to help feed people. Uh, and it, when I was looking at their website, uh, I realized it's, it's important, I think, that they don't call it fasting. At least I didn't see anywhere that they were calling it fasting. They, they were distinguishing between what the 30-hour famine is doing, what it's intended to do, and what the spiritual discipline of fasting is. And, and I think that is an important uh, distinction. Right? I think it's important that we recognize this distinction. And, and that's, you know, I think something like the 30-hour famine is, is 
uh, is and can be a really good uh, project and event. It can raise awareness about salvation. And, it, and it's similar to fasting in that you are technically fasting. You are not eating, right, in that period of time. But what we want to look at today is, is the character or the condition of fasting, right, and how we relate that to justice. And I'm going to agree with, with uh, Berdeev. Our, our approach is, it, we should recognize that our approach to suffering is complex. Uh, it's not just simple. It's not just saying, oh, well, we can eradicate suffering. Maybe the Christian calling is something different than what the uh, worldly response is. Uh, if you'd like, uh, you can turn to Isaiah 58. I'll have a few of the verses uh, on the screen uh, going forward, but not all of them. And you may wish to, uh, to follow along in, in some ways. But what we want to ask uh, this morning, and I, I've either said it already or alluded to it, but is, is there a vital relationship between fasting and justice? Uh, what is that relationship? And so Isaiah 58 helps us enter into this complex relationship uh, with suffering that fasting represents. So starting at verse 1, shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Okay, this is not starting well for Israel in Isaiah's words here. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast? But you do not see, right? They're saying to God, hey, we're, we're fasting. We're doing these practices, but you're not doing anything for us. Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, Isaiah says, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all of your workers. The prophet's asserting, he's declaring, there's a problem with Israel. In case it's, it's not super plain, they're hypocrites, right? They are uh, rebels who act as though they seek God and delight in his ways, as if they practiced righteousness, right? That, that as if in the, in the text for all those who were teenagers in the 80s or 90s, you can hear the, the tone of the as if, Right? It was, for those who are younger, you're not going to get it. And maybe, those, maybe it was a Saskatchewan thing. I don't know. But, right, it's this as if is, you know, you're doing this. You're, you're doing all these visible practices, but it's not pleasing to God. And he centers in on the fast as this way of recognizing this. In fact, their fasting betrays them. Right? It betrays the truth of who they are. And it's not because fasting is religious, right? That's, that's not the problem, is that it's a religious act and God wants something else. The problem is that it's a religious act that has no sustenance. It's a religious act that is not integrated, right? The problem is, is they, they're treating fasting and justice as though there can be a division between the two, as though they can stretch the words and leave some space between them. And God's not allowing for that. The two must come together. Picking up at verse 4. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself 
Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? They demonstrate this hypocritical behavior. And if we let our minds wander elsewhere in Scripture, we can see the the common theme. What's being uh, proclaimed about Israel in in, uh, Isaiah 58 we see elsewhere. If you read through Matthew 21, right, of the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, and there's this, this piece in the story uh, at verse 18, and, it, and uh, uh, Matthew writes here, in the morning when Jesus entered the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went to it and found nothing at all on it but leaves. Then he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again, and the fig tree withered at once. I've been thinking about this passage lately, and I was thinking, this is one of the more, this is a chilling passage of Scripture, right? And it's articulating something that we see in Isaiah 58. You're doing these actions. They mean nothing, which actually, it's not true. They mean something. They condemn you, right? This, this act that you do, this, this way of separating a religious practice from justice, this way of calling out to God for mercy and calling out to God to bless you while you oppress your workers. This has nothing to do with righteousness. This has nothing to do with God, and God has nothing but condemnation for it. 1 Corinthians 13, we see again, uh, if I speak in tongues of mortals, mortals or of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Right? We could go through a scripture. We're going to find this theme is going to surface at different places. God's not pleased with purely outward acts that are dressed up as though they should be pleasing to him or that might you know, confuse other people or, or trick other people. Right? What he's pleased with is the purity of heart. What he's pleased with is the integrated life. The life that brings these things together. So, like the leafy fig tree, it advertises for fruit, but offers none. And the clanging cymbal that offers some sound, but offers no worship. The fast that lacks justice is just like these things. That it mean nothing is the best we could hope for. But in reality, fasting in such a way is self-condemning. So, the point is not that fasting is by itself useless or evil, rather that a certain type of fasting is what God requires. And we see this in verse six. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, to cover them, to not hide yourself from your own kin. And, and here I think we can draw out some conditions of fasting. And, uh, and we're going to talk about three briefly here. Two are very explicit in the text. And the third one, which will be the second one in our list. Uh, but, but it is something that I, I think is inescapable from the theme and the narrative of the text. And, and so we'll see. You might disagree with me, and then you'll climb me off the stage, and we'll be done. But uh, the first is salvation. 
And I think it's tempting uh, to say that fasting fosters freedom. Right? We can read these first verses in verse 6. Uh, Is it not uh, the fast I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free? Uh, we might say, look, fasting fosters freedom. Don't say it real fast a bunch of times. You'll probably get into trouble there. But it, it's right to focus on freedom. And freedom is certainly a part of what's happening here. But often when we, we talk about freedom, we, we get locked into a really human-centered notion of freedom, which is, I can do what I want to do, right? I have this raw power to act. And we go, and look, God wants me to have this raw power to act. That's what it's all about, right? But the freedom here, we should hear, right? We should be hearing uh, the harmony of the Testaments, of of Isaiah with, uh, with the Gospels, and hear these words that come into the mouth of Christ or come out of the mouth of Christ. And these words, right, what they're communicating to us is salvation, right? And that, that moves things. When we talk about freedom, uh, we often, like I said, we put ourselves at the center. Well, salvation doesn't do that. Salvation puts Christ at the center. Salvation puts the action of God at the center. And so we want to follow what salvation does. And, and more to that point, we want the type of freedom that salvation offers. We don't want a cheap freedom. We don't want the cheap freedom that the world celebrates. We want this rich and deep freedom uh, that God offers us in salvation. And so fasting here, we want to put this into the context of salvation history. When we engage in fasting, we should put it into this context of what God is doing and has been doing. Uh, I was uh, speaking with some students this week, and we are talking about evil and suffering, uh, coincidentally, leading up to this Sunday. Uh, and, and often we you know, raise the question, well, what's God doing about evil? Right? Well, if we read the Old Testament, we can see God is and always has been doing something about evil and sin. He did it immediately in the garden. He did it immediately with the flood when the stench of evil rose up to him. At Babylon, he scattered to deal with the evil, the pride that was rising. And then we see in Genesis 12, he calls Abraham to, to select this people to not just be great in themselves, but to be a blessing to all nations. Now, uh, N.T. Wright would say it's a problematic people of promise, right? But here's the program that God has put in place. He's called this people, and Abraham is our father as well, right? But God is always doing something about evil, and we need to situate fasting in that context, that this is a part of what God is doing about evil and sin and suffering. And we should think of fasting in that way recognizing uh, a more complex approach to suffering and a more complex approach to spiritual practices, that they're embedded uh, in this broader story, that they're conditioned by this salvation story. So the text is explicit that the fasting God desires is one embedded in and conditioned by salvation. These very words Isaiah is speaking here, we see these, like I said, coming out of the mouth of Christ in the Gospels. We need to recognize that positioning. The second condition, I would say, is that of solidarity. And this is maybe not uh, so much explicit in the text, but I think it becomes inescapable as we think about this text. Uh, Fasting in general should be understood in the light of salvation history, but fasting in particular should also be understood as a practice of solidarity with those who are suffering. You deny yourself and place yourself uh, with the suffering 
while acknowledging God is the one who delivers from suffering. So in fasting, we stand with the suffering. This is a part of what Isaiah is condemning Israel for. Not just that they're not standing with the suffering, they're the source of suffering. They're oppressing the workers. They care only about themselves. And they care only about what God can do for them. And this is all a way of condemning them. And they shouldn't be like that. Ancient Israel should not be like that. Why? Well, for one thing, they're familiar with suffering. Right? A theme throughout the Old Testament is God delivered you from Egypt, delivered you from the hands of your oppressors. Don't treat people the way you were treated. Look out for widows. Look out for orphans. And maybe especially applicable today, look out for strangers, for the alien. Right? You know what it's like to suffer. Don't do that. Don't treat others that way. Leviticus 18, uh, 19, love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a way that we can bring that concisely together. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't oppress your neighbor. Why would you do that? You've been saved. Stand with your neighbor. And if we need a great example of solidarity, uh, you know, we could point to other places, but why don't we just go to Christ, who took on human flesh, who stood in solidarity with us at great cost and suffered. Right? If we need an example of solidarity, if we need a reason to go, well, maybe I should think about uh, you know, standing with those who are suffer. Uh, if I need to think about entering into the experience of suffering with them, well, Christ stands as that example. Should I walk with those who suffer? Right? The Christian vocation isn't, hey, I can stop all of your suffering right now because that's just not an option open to us. But we can offer hope for a future that doesn't include suffering. And we're not just offering a cheap hope. As Christians, we're saying we walk with the suffering. And fasting is a very practical, physical way that we, with our whole body, enter into that solidarity and enter into that experience of walking with those. And, and in fasting, walking with those uh, who are, in many ways, probably distant from us, right? The starving person probably isn't in your home. Uh, the starving person probably uh, might not be in your neighborhood. You might pass them on the street somewhere. We know that there's regions of the world where these people are starving for a, a bunch of different reasons, right? Let's find solidarity with them. And let's let fasting help us to be creative in also recognizing other ways that we need to stand with those who suffer. Let's let fasting open our minds uh, to that. God takes suffering seriously, so seriously that we have the incarnation of Christ. We need to take suffering seriously. And another way that we do is through charity. Verse 7 Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring a homeless port into your house when you are naked to, sorry, when when you see the naked to cover them and not hide from your own kin? Is this not the kind of fast that God requires? It requires charity. Uh, Again, we're tempted to cheapen that word, 
right? That charity is me dropping stuff off at uh, uh, Nova or some other place that takes them, the things I don't need anymore. Uh, or that charity is, uh, you know, the, the few coins I gave somebody. We get the word charity uh, because it, it's a description of a people that care for others, charitable, charitable people. And the word charity, uh, the English word, comes from a Latin, caritas, uh, and it's this love, right? So when we hear of charity, we shouldn't think of, well, it's, it's you know, we kind of do it off to the side, or here's these annoying people that are, I've got to do something for. Charity is what charitable people do. Charitable people are people of love, and love comes from God, right? Here is our way of imitating Christ, and fasting is a reminder of this. At least Isaiah is telling us this is the type of fasting uh, that God requires and that is pleasing to God. Uh, a fasting that is marked by love. Matthew 25, uh, if we, if we want to go to a gospel condemnation, right? Matthew 25, you may be familiar, familiar with this, this separating of uh, the sheep and the goats, of the good and, uh, uh, and the evil or the righteous and the unrighteous. And I find it interesting in the, in the New Testament, there's a few places where, you know, we get to these stark discussions of salvation, and the gospel writers seem to want to remind us about everyday things in them, right? I think of the, the uh, Good Samaritan. Here's this story of helping your neighbor, but that story's coming as an answer to the question of how do I attain eternal life, right? Here, this story of judgment right? Uh, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you are blessed. Uh, my fathers inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Solidarity matters. Charity matters. Our fasting should be conditioned by these characteristics. And the story goes on, right, to say that, uh, you know, those who are condemned say, well, wait, when, when did I see you naked, hungry, uh, starving, in prison, uh, right? Well, the way you treated the least of these, you treated me, right? These, these chilling reminders uh, and, and these reminders that we should look at our lives and have them integrated. And we should lean into practices like fasting, and allow them to, to shape us. There should be integrity in fasting. It should be integral. And, it, and the fasting that God desires, it leads to spiritual flourishing, as the, as the passage attests. Verse 8, okay? When you fast like this, then, verse 8 says, your light shall break forth like the dawn, your healing shall spring up quickly, your vindicator shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, here I am. 
If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like watered, a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. You will rise up uh, the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs. Right? Here's this, this you know, burst of what a flourishing people of God looks like. But it's not a description of those who do their own thing and follow their own selfish paths and use religion to their own selfish ends. If you do God's way, if you fast God's way, then you shall take delight in the Lord, verse 15, 14 tells us, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what can we take away from this? One is that the practice of fasting reveals character. At the very least, God knows your character. And if you are engaging in spiritual practices and engaging in a practice like fasting with some reflection, then you know your character. But I think the passage is also saying it's going to have uh, consequences beyond that. So ensure that, that your engagement in spiritual disciplines, your engagement in a discipline like fasting is conditioned by salvation history. That it's conditioned by a incarnate solidarity. That it's conditioned by the evidence of real charity. Right, the practice of fasting reveals character we want the practice of fasting to build our character in Christ. Second is unseen spiritual practices have public and social consequences. And I'm going to talk more big picture here. But if we, if we uh, and, and undergo fasting and if we undergo a religious life, what's being described and condemned in Isaiah 58, right, then we should expect to be a community marked by discord, a community of where, where we impose the suffering on each other, right? But rather, fasting in the way that's pleasing to God is going to build harmony, right? It's going to be a ritual of shalom, of peace. That's the type of fasting that we want. The type of fasting, as, as uh, Dave has described, where, yeah, we're going to wash our face and, uh, and make sure we look nice, why? So that what is a secret spiritual practice, or I should say more, a practice done in secret, can have these public benefits. That, it's, that, that fasting is going to feed us as a community. And it's going to feed us as the body of Christ. Finally, fasting uh, done in Christ will result in spiritual flourishing. 
right? We can expect that even these unseen practices, these uh, fasting that's done in secret, that's not boasted, uh, that's not, uh, you know, broadcasted or, uh, you know, uh, uh, imaged and pictured through social media, letting everybody know, hey, look what I'm doing, right? That these unseen things, right, that God is going to build us through this. And, and I would say there's, there's a lot, I, I think, uh, you know, David's comment about clapping, you know, it goes to that. There's, there's a lot of things that are unseen that matter. And, and I'm not going to start to try to list them, but we need to think about the things people are doing behind the scenes that are done for the Lord and that make our gatherings possible and make it possible for us to encourage each other. And we need to think, I, I think a part of it, we need to pursue what, what can I do for the Lord that nobody's going to know? <laughs> you know? How can I encourage this community in a way that is just going to be uh, something I've done before God? And then you're going to have to live after with of, man, that was good. I got to tell somebody. <laughs> right? Can you suppress it? Right? Can you, can you live in that anonymity of being able to serve God and nobody knows? Right? That is going to build and feed us as a community in Christ. Fasting that truly flows from a hunger for God will foster a desire to address injustice. That, in fact, is the test we find in Isaiah 58, and it's confirmed in the gospel message. One cannot fast in the name of Christ and at the same time be unconcerned with or the ungodly source of suffering undergone by others. One cannot fast in the name of Christ and at the same time be unconcerned with or the ungodly source of suffering undergone by others. We need to reflect on how, who we are in relation to others, how fasting can help us to be reshaped into the image of Christ. This week that might mean uh, in your fasting or if you're not fasting, it might mean that you meditate on Isaiah 58 or meditate on one of these New Testament passages like Matthew 25 or 1 Corinthians 13 uh, to take these into heart to see how they can condition you and condition you in spiritual practices in general and how they can condition you in, in a practice like fasting in particular. You may fair, prayerfully consider how you might feed others, right? Uh, perhaps with food, but maybe it's some other way. Maybe it's some hidden way that you're able to feed others in Christ. I, I think I'm correct that we are going to practice uh, communion next week. Is that, sorry, it's the first of the month. Uh, so in this series on fasting, we come to this table that we're going to partake from. Uh, William Kavanaugh, theologian, he talks about consumption a bit. And he says, well, the Eucharist, or the Lord's table, this table of thanksgiving, this table of Christ, this is a place where we consume Christ in order to be consumed by him. And I, I think as we look ahead to next week, uh, whether it's in a practice of fasting or of prayer this week, or looking ahead to that, let's pray that we are consumed by Christ in these practices that we move out of the way, and that Christ works in us. Let me pray with you in closing, and uh, we're to pray Psalm 67. 
Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. And Lord, we ask that in our lives you would be praised, and that in the secret places of our life, Lord, you would be praised. Uh, may we purge those secret places of sin, and Lord, may you fill those secret places uh, with the practices that give life. And we ask you to bless, Lord, uh, this time together, seal, seal in our hearts the things that you desire to grow and to shape us, not just as individuals, Lord, but as a community. And we ask your blessing on all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.